You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. We call it slicking the bean, choking the chicken, giving yourself a hand, auditioning finger puppets. There's a million and one names for the old five-finger shuffle, and yet hundreds of millions of people are unable to sauce the taco due to disability, aging, or illness. That's where we come in, if you'll pardon the phrase. At Bumpin', we've created the world's first accessible sex toy, so people with limited mobility, hand issues, and disabilities can celebrate Palm Sunday just like everyone else. If you agree that everyone deserves sexual pleasure, help us spread the self-love and fund an orgasm for those in need. Give the gift of the big O at getbumpin.com. That's G-E-T-B-U-M-P-N dot com. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you, and they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD, that's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. Well, it's summertime here in Canada where I'm recording, and you know, in summertime, we're always told to go outside and explore our national parks. But, you know, for all disabled people, exploring our national parks is just not accessible. Well, I want to tell you about a really cool event that's looking to change that. My friends at the Engineering Health Lab at the Kite Research Institute University Health Network are hosting a virtual conference on national park accessibility in Canada. This free event will take place from August 23rd through August 25th, 2022. The goals of this completely free event are What does national park accessibility look like to me and why is park accessibility important? What are the major barriers that impact national park accessibility for people with disabilities? 
and what are innovative solutions to improve park accessibility for people with disabilities. You know, I think this is such a great initiative and something you don't want to miss out on because we really need to be considering accessibility everywhere, even throughout our national parks in Canada. So to register for this free event, please head to www.parksaccessibilityconference.ca today. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends, and thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your deliciously disabled daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get today started, shall we? I am so excited you're here, and thank you so much for being here with me, and I want to say to you all listening today, just a little words of disability affirmation for you, I want to say, your disability makes you look amazing, and I think a disability looks really good on you, and I hope that wherever you are and whatever part of disability you're experiencing right now, that those words make you smile and make you feel good, and make you feel seen like you can shine a bright light on your disability story. I just wanted to give you some words of disability joy with this episode, and I hope you did, because this episode certainly brought me a lot of disability joy for sure. For sure. Just a reminder, I want to give you all the shout-outs on the air, and the way that I can do that is if you help is if you help me to keep the bright light shining on this show by going to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledging as little as $1 a month to get the show completely ad-free on a very special Patreon feed that you get when you sign up so that you get the show one day early and completely ad-free. So instead of hearing my ramblings on fr- on Saturday, you'll hear my ramblings on Friday. And I'd love for you to be a part of that. And you'll get a sexy shout-out on the air, a sexy, awkward shout-out on the air. So something like, Hey, Andrew, you're so... You're so hot because you're disabled you are disabled and you really work that label thank you for your pledge something silly like that and uh, I would love to be able to give all of you a silly awkward shout out on the air so consider supporting us financially if you can and it really helps me the one man team on the, uh, doing the show it's all me by myself so your pledges really help me to sustain myself keep the network running keep uh, keep the lights on on this program and we've you know we've just surpassed over 300 this is 303 and i want to do 303 more and in order to do that i would love your help so consider supporting the show if you're able if you're not able to support it financially consider leaving us a a review wherever you listen to podcasts leaving us a review helps the algorithm know that programs like this talking specifically every week about disability are out there and i would love for more people to hear hear about the show so consider doing that if you're able thanks so much friends But now, to the show. 
On the show today, I sat down with somebody that I follow on Instagram from afar and someone who I've admired from afar for a while now, my new friend, disabled person and disabled mom and disabled author, Rebecca Tausig. She wrote the amazing book, Sitting Pretty, which came out in 2020. And I tell you, when I read the first five pages of her book, I started to cry and it was so transformative for me. And I'm not even done reading the book. I still have chapters and chapters to go. But her book talks about disability in a way that is so refreshing and so raw and so honest that it was just such a pleasure to sit down with her. And so we talk about her book, Sitting Pretty, but we also talk about disabled motherhood. We talk about um, the disabled community. We talk about activism. We talk about relationships. We talk about so much more here. And it was just a joy to sit down with her. For the first six minutes of our combo, we pretty much gushed about each other for a while. And it was just really nice to sit down with her. And this the whole idea that you're sitting down with a friend and having an intimate conversation about disability, that's what this was today. And I was so proud to to do that with her. And I'm so excited for you to, to meet her on the show today and to hear what she has to say. It's really important. And I urge you to pause this recording right now. Go wherever you go to get audiobooks or books or ebooks or physical copies or wherever and purchase Sitting Pretty by Rebecca Tausig because it is a phenomenal read. One of the best one of the best books about disability that I've ever read, even though I'm only two chapters in. It's just a really important piece of literature. And I want all of you disabled spoonies out there who need some great disability literature to pick it up. So without further ado, and without any more of my rambling, here's my amazing conversation with my friend, Rebecca Tausig, right now on Disability After Dark. Rebecca Tossig, hello. Hi. Hi. Oh my goodness, friends. You don't even know how excited we both are to do this. I know. <laughs> we before I press record, we literally just sat and talked for the last hour. We've been chatting. Oh it's really great. Pretty much like almost an hour, like 40 minutes at least. Oh no. What's which happening? Is, <laughs> which is amazing. And I'm so excited to like have you here. Oh my goodness. Rebecca. The excitement that I feel right now is like, because I've been following, we just talked about how we've been following each other for like years, and now we're finally doing this. Years. Years. You told me at the beginning yes. of when we when we started, when we sat down, that you've been listening to the show from the beginning, and it kind of helped you shape sort of your like, yeah, well, I was about sex and disability. I found, I I feel like it was like 2016, I was in grad school and it was like early early days of me even realizing like or just like accepting disability as part of me and like not just a horrible part of me but like an interesting um potentially valuable beautiful part of me and I didn't know very many disabled people and I it was like a whole new experience world thought process for me and yes your podcast was one of the spaces where I was like hey look at these people and they're like sexy and cool and interesting and I want to be a part of this oh that's so great because like you're a star now like you're I mean a celebrity in, in the disability space like I, know that I mean you're verified on Instagram which 
Like, I still can't. It's not happened for me yet, which is so weird. Uh, well, like, I, I go to Instagram every once in a while, and I, and it's a, yes, but, like, I can't write a tweet to save my life, like. I mean, we, and it's funny, I told you when we were recording, I said, I can't, I can write a pithy tweet, but I can't, I don't know if I can write a book. Oh, we're going to talk about all these things, I'm so excited, but. And you and I, it's weird. You and I could like sit and chat for another five hours. Nobody would want to listen to that, but we really could just sit and talk. Literally, this is the best. Um, and you said, or you said when we before we recorded that you tried doing podcasting. If ever you want to do one, I I have a little production company that I've started for podcasts. Have you? So really? Well, it's not by production company. I mean, I created like an opening bumper for a company that I want to create, and then basically. I give it to all my friends who want to do podcasts and be like, cool, put this on your show at the beginning and then you'll be part of my network. That's pretty much what, it's like, I don't own anything and I made it up out of the air. So like, sure, but if you ever wanted to do one, like. <laughs> well, then, cause, because the benefit of that is like people, it's like, it's like going into a section of the library or something, right? It's like, look at all, if you like this, you'll like this, right? Isn't that kind of how that works? Yeah, basically, like if, if. I get enough people on my network, which is called Cripple and Company, by the way. Um, if I get enough people with disabilities on my network making shows, like then we'll have a space for disabled podcasters to like make their own content because there's not enough of us doing it. Like, and I would love for there to be a one-stop shop for yeah. disability content. I would too. I would love that. Well, if I ever, you know, like um get myself into shape and um <laughs> and actually make a podcast I will that would be an honor I can't I don't know that I will ever be on top of life enough to do that it's a lot of work that's how I feel about the podcast every single day I'm like oh I have to do it why <laughs> why oh uh, but the fans they're waiting I mean and they're like where's your content Andrew yeah yeah um so again you and I can sit down and talk for hours but for anyone who doesn't know who Rebecca Tossig is can you introduce yourself to the audience? Tell us a bit about who you are, what you do. Sure. Okay. Yes. Um, well, I'm a, I'm a writer. Um, I I write some on Instagram um, under uh, the na- username sitting underscore pretty. Um, and I started that like around the time that I was like listening to your, like found your podcast and stuff. Um, and it was originally um, just sort of a space to explore what disability really meant to me like outside of the stories I'd inherited about what yeah must mean to me and so I started writing there and um and that kind of grew into a book that came out in um 2020 and um what else I mean, it's my favorite disability book so far and I'm only on chapter two uh, and I'm like this like you sent me the copy of it last week or your your awesome publisher did and I because I bought it off Apple let's I go off on a tangent. I bought it on Apple because I wanted to support you. And I was like, I'll buy the book. Thank so you. I bought it to like read it. And then it let's read the first chapter on their Apple, their app or whatever. And then it didn't let me read anymore. And I was like, how am I supposed to prep for the interview if I can't read the book? You think Apple would have that figured out by now? Like how to let people read books they pay for? That's. But I mean, your book. I'm only on chapter two and I cried five times already. Like, I really hope it doesn't go downhill from here for you. Like, no, no, it's so, it's so, Sitting Pretty is such a, and people told me to read it and I was like, okay, okay, well, like it's another, like, people were like, it's great. And I was like, oh yeah, it's another disability book, I'll get to it. But then I read it and I was like, 
oh, this is actually, you're talking to me. It's a book for me. Like I said to you, I read it. I read the first like five pages. And I was like, okay, yeah, you're talking directly to me. This is basically a journal entry, entry about my life. Like, all right, good. So like, it just, it just made me feel so at home and, and I'll get to it in a minute, but like it, I can't recommend it enough to both the non-disabled and disabled community because it takes you into one person's experience, but does it in a way that's like, let me just tell you how it feels. And my whole thing around disability is like, let's strip away all the, all the models, all the narratives, all the different things we've been taught. Like, like I don't subscribe to, I don't subscribe 100% to any model of disability. I'm like, let's talk about how it feels. And your book so far from what I read, is like, oh, it's, you're, you're speaking to my heart right now. Okay, great. So like, it's, it's really good. I just, I'm so excited for people to read it especially for non, non-disabled people to read it and go like in the book, there's an exchange you have with your brother about like, or about like, what do you want to write about? How do you want And you go into why it's important and every single thing you've said about why you want to write about disability, how it makes you feel. I was like, yep. Yep. I was sitting there nodding my head being like, this is, it's me. So I just think stuff like that. And there's so many books out there on disability but there are not enough human stories about disability. And so when you when I read the first couple pages, I literally had to stop and go, I need to take a breath because it's too real. It's too real. Oh, I, I can't not tell you. I wish I could like explain what's happening in my body as you're talking. I just like have goosebumps up to my scalp and like my heart is swelling. Oh, yay. I just, it just like you write, like you write this thing and you're like, I don't know if this will make sense to anyone else. And I don't know who's going to read it. And then to have someone that you like admire and respect, read it and connect with it. It's like pretty surreal. And it's, it's like, and I'm not even done yet. I'm on like chapter two. I'm on the second chapter, but I, I hope it doesn't go down. Like, I can't wait to read more. I'm so excited to read more. Thank you. And I'm just so excited. But again, I could gush about you all day before I do, before I gush more. Um, can you tell us what your disabilities are and how they impact your life? Yes, sure. Um, I'm paralyzed. Uh, been paralyzed since I was three. I had cancer as a, on my spine as a child. Um, and so like the impact of, um, the cancer and the chemotherapy and surgeries and radiation sort of gave me this complicated body. And the most obvious thing is like the wheelchair. Like I use a wheelchair to get around because of the paralysis, but there's like a lot of, um, just like, I have like seven different specialists for different parts of my body that are oh, cool. Yeah. The whole like superstar team. No, but you have like the X-Men for your body to like make sure you're good. But it also makes me like terrified of losing health and health insurance. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, like I have really severe scoliosis and so I have some rods. <gasps> me in- too. Me too. Cool. Yeah. You get the cool ones. They like go up all the way up. Yeah, like up to um, your shoulder blade, then down your bum. Yeah, and then like the thing that we're dealing with now is like they, it can, it's like as long the rods go down as far as they can go, but like you still have this your hips and everything. It's twisty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and so like I've developed like a cyst from the pressure, and so that's leading to like all kinds of chronic pain. Oh, that's fun for you, and I'm sure that's a joy. Yes, thank you, thank you. Um, so just like a number of things like that. Um, that... Just cysts in your body that you're not sure. It's great, yeah. Yeah, you know, you know. Um, and then, you know, it's really funny. Um, I, that is a, a funny way to 
um, introduce this, but um, I also have a, uh, inherited a kidney, chronic kidney disease for my mom that has nothing to do with cancer or paralysis. So um, it's just sort of this extra layer of, um, of complication in my body. And most doctors that interact with me are like, what do we do with this? Because oh, <laughs> um, wow. it's just like... Uh, I don't know. It's just like layers of complication that sometimes are at odds with each other. And, um, and I guess the end result of that is really just being in a body that doesn't fit like visibly or physically into the world around it. And, um, and I, I think it's, you know, it's been a lifetime of processing all of the injury and gifts of that, you know, like, the both and of what that means. Yeah, I mean, I think, and the and part is really interesting because when we think of what happened to you, like the cancer at three, um, which when I read about it, I was like, fuck, that's a lot to go through so young. Like cancer at three, luckily, hopefully you were in a place where you don't remember it too much because I don't remember being three. Um, but, you know, we think of what you've gone through and it would be so easy to write a book that is, a tragic narrative of you overcoming and moving up forward. But I love how you were like, no, I want to jump into the messiness of all of that and just put my mess out and hope that it resonates. Like it would have been so easy for you to be like, I had cancer at three and now I have all these problems, but look at me, I overcame. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I think like for a lot of my life, that was the story. Like that's the story I grew up with. Like I've heard that story told to me and about me like most of my life and so I really um like bought it until I it just didn't like make sense anymore at all I mean like um it it, it became harmful and like the the flattening of that like the one-dimensional um sort of like distorted telling of that story was really punishing and um and so I think you, you th- you're saying like, it'd be so easy to write that book. And it's like, yeah, I guess it would have been, but also like, um, I think that's part of why I wrote the book was like, so that it, to like complicate that very narrative, because I realized how painful and punishing it, that was to me, um, to sort of like iron out my life to fit into such a tiny, tiny box, um, and partition yeah. myself out. And I love from what I've read so far, like, you don't, and I, like in one of the very first passages, I'm paraphrasing here, but you say something like, "Like I'm not here to fix all the problems. I'm not here to give you an answer. Really, I'm not here to like make you feel super great about your ableism or make you not feel great. I'm just here to tell my story." And that was the minute I read that, I was like, "Okay, I'm a hundred thousand percent in. I want all of this." Because I was like, "Good, you're telling the truth." And I think when as a disabled person putting writing out there, we're pushed by everybody around us to come up with a narrative that makes everyone feel warm and fuzzy inside. And I struggle with my, even with my tweets to be like, do I write something for everyone or do I write something just for me and for my community? And that your book kind of does both, but it's also like, fuck you to anyone else that doesn't want to hear what I'm writing about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh my goodness. That tension is like, I'm feeling that lately that like, do I write, who am I writing for? Do I write something just for me? Do I write something who's reading this and what do I want them to get out of that? And, and I think when you're a part of a group that is 
so misunderstood and marginalized and you feel that pressure to represent, there is this pressure to like represent. Yeah, a huge pressure. And I, you know, we were going to talk a little bit about disability community today. So I, we can go, let's just go there now because we want to go there. I, I have such a problem with the disability community and I love them to bits, but I'm also like, I don't agree with a lot of you and I don't know how to feel about how I don't agree with a lot of like, And my disagreeance is usually from the place of like, I don't want to hate everybody for being an ableist. I don't want to, like, I feel like in disability discourse, and tell me how you feel about this, but I feel like it's really fun to call out ableists on social media and to be really like, you're a fucking ableist, fuck you. Like that's, And that's great. But also, like, my, my thing after reading stuff like that is like, okay, what are we now doing to make it better for that next person? Are we giving them the tools to unlearn that or are we just yelling at them? Yeah. There's some, I mean, like, there's definitely something cathartic about that, about just being angry <laughs> and yelling at people. And, and there is the catharsis that comes through it. But it's also like, I don't know, I think in the long run, it's really exhausting. It's exhausting to hold on to that. And it's exhausting to, for me, it has been exhausting to live in the world kind of like on the lookout for what terrible thing someone's going to say or do like to hold that in my body. Oh yeah. It's just, I had to let it go. And I had for me, my activism, I used to do that. I used to be like, well, so-and-so is a fucking ableist. And I would make all the tweets about it and it would get a lot of reaction from yep. community members, like echo chambering of like, yeah, good for you. Yeah. But then I was like, wait, why do I feel anxious to go online all the time? Why do I feel sick all the time? Why do I feel uncomfy? And I was like, oh, I have to pivot. So I just said, I pivoted my activism to be like, I don't want to be mad at anybody for anything around ableism. I want to give them the tools from my experience to like help them. And if they do something ableist, I'm going to try really hard to be kind to them. Um, yeah. That's what. I think we also have to think about like sustainability for our own activism. Like how long can you, like what is a kind of activism that you can keep doing? And I think when like so much of activism is about like a fight, you know, fight and I'm, and I'm like in some kind of brawl. I think that that is, I mean, like, again, I think that's exhausting. And I think if there's a way to do activism and I, I I like use that word cautiously because I'm like I know I'm, it makes the word activism makes me feel like squidgy because I don't <laughs> I don't consider myself an activist like I don't I really? that's why I call myself a consultant because I'm like I don't want to I don't want to activist against you I want to sit with you in a room and talk shit out and hope that we come to an agreement together like connect and I, I think storytelling is is the thing the word that feels comfortable with me but I think like is there a way is there a way to do to do this work in a way that feels life-giving and joyful and sustainable and um... yeah without burning yourself out and I, I also think without burning a bridge like I think unfortunately I think right now in 2022 so much of disability activism is throwing the grenade in the air saying you're all enablist and then running away and watching the bridge burn and it's like well yes i think the anger is cathartic and you should have a place for that but also think about the damage the anger can do if you're constantly continually spreading that like what how are we gonna make a change 
Well, and I do exactly. I think it's like if it if it does anything, I think there is that momentary catharsis. But it's like it's harm in the long run. I found it to be harmful to myself. And like you're yeah. saying, what is it doing for other people? I think I think to me, I I rarely see any any response to that sort of like grenade in the air, uh, fury and and rage. That is, I, I rarely see people respond to that with curiosity. Or um, like learning is a vulnerable thing. It's so vulnerable and you have to like, unfortunately you have to, not necessarily unfortunately, but you have to like hold somebody's hand through their learning. Like you would, like you would a four-year-old and be like, are you, how does this feel for you? Are you okay? Let's go through the steps of learning. And like, I feel like in disability activism, from what I've seen over the last, especially over the last two years, and I think over the last two years, with the pandemic, the anger has gotten to a point of like, to a breaking point where, and of course the anger is totally valid because the pandemic has really fucked us over. But also like, I just keep thinking if I can put that learning in someone's mind with kindness and a smile on my face versus like, you're the worst, wouldn't I want to do that instead? Mm-hmm. When I think about like, okay, so like as a teacher, um, I, and I, I didn't, I didn't mention that at the beginning, but like I, a big part of my life has been as a, a teacher. And I, the last teaching job I had was teaching high school, um, teaching English at a high school. And I, oh, think, wow. so much, <laughs> and I think so much of, um, about the, like what I see from students and learning and like deep learning, like lasting learning, that's actually just like transformative of the way you see the world is like this slow growth it's this it's this thing that you nurture and cultivate and i find personally that so much of that happens through like human connection and and storytelling because i think so much human connection happens in storytelling and so i think like that's i think that's where i land in in this conversation about like the only thing i know to do is like tell stories yeah i mean that's why i love the title of consultant because I and I love being a storyteller because I do the same thing I just tell a story and I hope that the story resonates and I don't blame anybody for their stuff like even with all the stuff around like I'm putting a lot of stuff around like mask mandates right now and stuff that I'm like oh we should talk about this and I get responses from people on social media that are like my disabled brother doesn't wear masks so it doesn't work for you and I'm like well that's great for your brother and I hope he's all right but that doesn't mean that Joe on the street shouldn't wear a mask either. Like, I, why are you using your disabled brother as a reason to not do the right thing? So, like, I, I, but even that, I'm learning to like. I could be angry at you, or I could just say thanks for your comment. I'm gonna move away now. That's that's a challenge. Like, I I think that's something like to be able to do that. Like, you it's just, hard. It's hard. Ugh. It's not easy. Like. You should see the journal that I have of all the things I wish I said that I didn't say. Like, it's, it's pretty big. Um, I, so I want to jump back into the book because I love it so much. And like, I've gushed about it for 20 minutes here now. But it's so, it's seriously, if you're listening and you haven't picked up Sitting Pretty, please go get it right now. Because it's, oh my God, it's like, it, I'm only on chapter two. And I love every every word that I've read so far. And I've tried five times. Um, but it struck such a chord with me as a reader, like spoke to my soul in a way that I've not had a book do in a long time. Why, why did you want to put these stories down? 
<clears throat> yeah, um, it's a good question. I think I think one of the one of the reasons is just that I didn't have a book like it when I was growing up. Like I, I didn't have um, any world I could enter where I felt really seen um, or represented. And um, and when I found, I mean, I found disability studies in graduate school. And so that was like my first introduction to thinking about like the first time I heard the word ableism, I was like 27, I think. Um, so I found, I found like this lens for looking at the world and people who also knew disability um, in my late 20s. And I think and found language for to sort of like describe some of these experiences. And when I found these writers and ideas in graduate school, I was like, I want the whole world, everyone. I want everyone to be able to think about things this way and have some of this language. And um, and not just people, you know, like reading scholarly journals, but like, you know, yeah. niece, I would love, you know, like I want anyone to be able to access that. So I think one thing that was really important to me in writing the book was that it would be um, really accessible. Like it would just be handing some of these thoughts and ideas to people in a way that would be really easy to hold on to um, without jargon and without, you know. Yeah. And I mean, you and I were so simpatico in how we want to do this because like I didn't take disability studies when I was in college doing my master's like 10 years ago. I They didn't have a disability studies course in my school. They had to, they had one class from one guy who was very smart, but super crotchety and kind of didn't like my ideas of like, let's talk about stuff differently. He didn't love it. And he, he, I had one class of him and he was like the lead for my graduate thesis. And he was not my mentor, but he was the lead guy that would like read the paper. And he was so crotchety and he made me like, despise disability studies only only because like so crotchety but also because everything i was reading on disability studies was like we talked about earlier a fight and i was like how do we why are we learning about how to build connection with people why are we learning about how to build them the bridge between the able-bodied community and the disabled community there needs to be a bridge all i'm reading about is how we have to fight and the fight is like I don't want to do that because it's exhausting. So, but then I got online and I saw the fight was being echoed. So I tried that and I was like, it still doesn't feel good. It still feels weird. So the pivot for me was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna try it this way. And I still have people who were like, oh, I don't know if I love you doing it this way. And I'm like, okay, you, well, you do your activism your way and I'll do it my way. Awesome. Thanks. We don't have to be the same. Isn't that a thought? <laughs> yeah. We're not a monolith in all the ways possible. Um, but you know, I think you wanting to write the book and make it accessible to people is something that I think we need more of. We need more stories that are just accessible. Um, what was the process? We talked about this a little bit off the air, but what was the process of like writing the book for you? What was that like getting it on yeah. paper? Well, I had been writing, I mentioned briefly, I'd been writing on Instagram, I think for a couple of maybe like three years at that point. Um, and I connected with my literary agent, um, Laura Lee Mattingly. She works for present perfect literary agency. And, um, well, she didn't work for them. She, she made them. Um, but, uh, she connected with me and, 
Um, she also has a disability and saw something in my That's work. That's even cooler. No, right? Uh, she's awesome. But um, uh, she she kind of um, I don't I had I had a book in mind. Like I I wanted to write a book, and I had written a manuscript for a memoir in graduate school, but. I got a job teaching high school right after. Um, this is a lot of detail. I'm going into a lot of detail. I was just like, I, I kind of like fall. My my idea of writing a book had sort of fallen aside as I'd been grading. I was like elbow deep in grading papers all the time, and um, and so so when Laura Lee and I connected, um, she kind of guided me through the process of writing a book proposal. And, um, we, I really mind my Instagram a lot to think like, what are some themes that I write a lot about? What can I say more about? And so that became sort of the scaffolding for chapters that would go into the book. Um, and, and then we kind of shopped that proposal. Lee, if you're listening, I want to do the same bloody thing. And, <laughs> and Rebecca and I were talking about it. So if you're listening to this, and you should send it to her if she if she doesn't if you're listening talk to me reach out I want to do the same thing let's do it yes. I want to read your book Andrew like I want to read the shit out of your book like I'm a book so- that I've had in, a book title that I've had in my head for like a thousand years is something like this is my cripple hood a journey into like my disability story or something like that hood I like that word I like that a lot. Um, I'll read it. I want to read it. I'm ready for it. We need to. Maybe it'll just be a bunch of tweets that I turn into chat. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I think people would read that too. You're very good at the tweeting. I do. I do enjoy the tweeting. The tweeting is my, it's because it's so nice to get a 280 character thought out and be done with it and then walk away and be like, okay, it's out there. Bye. I can't do that. I can't do it. I'm like, it's like, I, I, I get lost in the space that small and I like want to be clever and I'm never clever <laughs> but it is, it is really hard to be clever and it it's really hard skill set um but anyhow yeah Harper one picked the book up um and and then we it changed a lot from the time from the proposal to the final book um and and I didn't know that I would there were so many rounds of edits um but I was doing it while I was teaching high school so it was like on the weekends and um all of Thanksgiving break and um And this was prior to prior to being a mom, right? You didn't have you yes, had Yes. Yes, because Andrew, I literally found out I was pregnant, very surprised, found out I was pregnant less than twenty four hours after I submitted the final manuscript to the book. <laughs> so like, wow. Uh, That's a lot. Wow. Right? It was it was quite a bit. It was quite a bit. Um I want to jump around here for a second. So like, so what is it like being a disabled mom? Okay. Pause. This is the conversation that we'll have the rest of the afternoon. I don't know. I don't know how to make sense of it. So I need to talk to you for five hours. I'm ready. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's, um, it's, I mean, like being a parent is so fucking hard. It is so hard. Um, and also full and beautiful and... I've seen pictures of your, of your little one. Oh my goodness. The cuteness factor is up by... I can't... Wow. I like, I, I mean, he's so much and I'm so exhausted by him, but also like, I get so excited when I go to get him in the morning. I'm like, I've missed you. What are you going (laughs) to... 
he brings me so much joy. But I think, okay, this is what I, this is what I've been thinking about as being like specifically a disabled parent. I have yeah. no, I, no, I don't know what it's like to be a parent without a disability. I have nothing to compare it to. But one thing I've started to realize in my very short stint as a parent, as Otto is almost two now, um, is Otto such a cute name? Oh my goodness! This is great, great, great grandfather's name. Like um, Otto, is there any more to that, or is it just Otto? It's Otto Diggory. Oh, so cute and so like so like different, and not a name that I've ever heard before. But I'm, I'm so here for it. Couldn't like we could not. We were so torn up about naming him that we like. We, we were like, we can't leave the hospital. We can't do this. We can't name this person. How can we have this responsibility? But yeah. we got tricked into it. We, the lady was like, just fill out the paperwork and you can always change it. And so we were like, fine, we'll just write this down for now. And then we didn't change it. Amazing. <laughs> but anyways, I think this is the thing. I'm, this is the thing about being a disabled parent that I'm thinking about. I feel like being a parent for most of us, I know there are exceptions here, but across the board, I think being a parent is hard. And I think for me as a disabled parent, I started telling myself this story very early on that whatever was hard was hard because I was disabled. It was like, if I, like, if I could walk and bounce him and walk around the house, then I'd be able to soothe him. Or like, if I wasn't disabled, I would know what I was supposed to do here. Or, you know, like I would just like make up all of these things. And every time something went wrong, it was like, it's because of me and my disabled body my fucking disabled self and i like yes and i think that that is just like such a punishing um like faulty framework that didn't serve any of us and like there's no the thing is about being a parent is like a lot of times you just have no idea why something is harder it was always going to be hard and yeah and so like telling i've had to like work really hard to try to tell myself different stories or allow for other stories to come in and and, and like, I, I have had such a difficult time seeing myself as a mom. I, I, and I, I'm sure that a lot of that has to do with like representations of motherhood. Yeah. Like, like when was the last time you saw a wheelchair using mom on a dog commercial? Never. Like. Literally, I think the only reason I started even thinking that like, maybe I could be a mom or do I want to be a mom was I found a disabled mom on Instagram um, Alex Wegman, who has two kids, and she uses a wheelchair, and I was like, "Oh, what? This is Amazing. a thing." <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it's um, it's been hard for me to see myself as a mom, and I think early on I was like looking to Otto to to affirm that I was actually a mother, and he was like not interested in doing that at and all. He's like, "I'm one. What are you talking? Yeah, what do you want to do?" Right. And so like, of course it was a a silly setup from the beginning, but I kind of, I saw everything from him. Like his lack of affirmation to me became like confirmation that I wasn't a mom. Um, So we we had some dark times. I mean, like it was really, I don't know that this is what other disabled moms, I don't know if other moms, probably non-disabled moms have a version of that, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I have nothing to compare it to, but that's what it has been like for us. Was he... Now that Otto's two, does he understand that mom's a disabled person? Like, how's that going? I don't know what he understands. I'm sure, like, I, I'm i sure when he has more language, that will be something we talk about. Um, he is very familiar with my wheelchair. Like, um, if I get up to pee in the early morning and he hears my wheels on the floor or, like, hears my brakes, 
he's like, he, it wakes him up and he like calls for me. Like the sound oh. in my chair are like, he, he knows that they're me. Um, That's kind of adorable. And I love every second of that. And he like, we have like a whole, he has like this intimacy and familiarity with my chair. That's really special. Like he sits on my foot plate. Um, and like, we kind of like, we have just different ways of moving. Like he'll sit on my foot plate on my feet on top of my foot plate. And then like, I kind of scoot him around that way. Or like he, um, he like leans on my wheels and, um, he, he hasn't done the things I've wanted him to. Like, um, like he won't like hold on to my wheelchair as we walk down the sidewalk. He won't do that. But like he has, um, he has his own ways of interacting with it, with this like familiarity that means a lot to me. Cause I, you know, wheelchairs mean a lot of things to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and to have, a little person who has a familiarity with this chair in a way that is somehow resembles the one I have with it is really special. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a bond there that like you as a disabled mom will have that no other mother can have, like, like because of your disability, like, you know, what I'm hearing from that is it's a gift, the disability in a way, because, Oh, you're yeah. giving it you're giving it to you're giving that gift to him to teach him from from the jump that like disabled people aren't scary. Your mom is one like look look. So like I think what'll be positive for him as he gets older is like he won't be afraid of it because he knows it intimately. Yeah, I hope so. I you know it's interesting. I I think about this a lot. Like what it will mean to him that he has this comfort with, uh, well, like disability, or at least my kind of, my, my version of disability, right? Like, I think, I think about it, like, I want him to be around all kinds of people with disabilities because I don't want him to just be comfortable with wheelchairs, you know? Like, I want him yeah. to be comfortable with the breadth and width and range of, of human experience and, um, and, you know, he's a pandemic baby, so he's like home all the time. Um, and I want him to, I want him to experience so much more. Um, I hope that like having a mom that uses a wheelchair does something good in his brain to like signal to him that there are so many ways to be human. Um, but we'll see how it unfolds. I mean, I feel like there's a book on motherhood coming that you should just start writing now because I would read it and I am definitely a male identified person who will never be a mom, but I would <laughs> devour I, it. I'm confused enough by motherhood that I feel like the confusion itself could fuel some writing. Cause yeah. I don't what it means. I did not. Perfect book or like perfect Instagram stories. I think there could be a whole bunch of stuff there. Uh, I'm very intimidated, but I want to read someone else's. I want to read whatever other people talk about. I want to see what other people do. It's so, it's so confusing. I feel like it's, um, I don't know what to make of it. And I don't know when I will, because I, he changes so fast. So, like, as soon as you wrap your head around something, it's like a different person. That's kind of like, that's kind of like a metaphor for disability, too. It also changes super fast. Yeah, constant evolution. Just when you get comfy with it, it's like, oh, I'm going to throw you a curveball. <laughs> get ready. And go, what? It's true. You know, I'm like, I think you were talking about, like, the gift of, of disability, having a disabled parent for auto or, like, some of the beautiful parts of it. And I think that there are ways that like disability has, has 
prepared me for motherhood in a way that I never would have thought. Um, I think there are like lots of weird overlaps between being a parent and being a disabled person. And the thing that's funny to me is that like culturally, we look at those two experiences as like incompatible. Diametrically opposed. Can't yeah, go together. Exactly. Yeah. Like, we don't think about, we don't imagine disabled parents exist. Um, and then, and yet what I have found is like those two experiences are like, they are so much that resonates like that echoes between the two of them. There's so much learning in both experiences. I think of parenthood and disability of learning what interdependency is. Yes. Like we know what it is a hundred thousand percent. And so do little toddlers who need support. Yes, exactly. Andrew, that's, that's exactly right. Like creating these little ecosystems of care and um, and like being in tune with what people need and also what people give and and like the flexibility that we have to. Kind of, oh yeah, right. Like so, like the title of your book should be "How to Be a Disabled Mom During the Pandemic." Like I would read that so fast and like. I think that is. Ugh. It could make <laughs> it could be a bestseller real quick because. Maybe maybe this is. The uh, like this is the book we should co-write. You can coach me through it. <laughs> oh yeah, I... <laughs> but no, I think the book that you and I should co-write is the ecosystems of care. Like, how awesome would would it be to have a book about that on the shelves? Yeah, yeah, I would love to write that book with you. I mean, we should we should seriously talk about it because that'd be so fun. Because that way we don't have to shoulder the whole responsibility of the book by ourselves to either. Like. We should seriously talk about this after we after after we're done talking. I want to talk about this because it's a great idea. Um, but I want to shift to your book again for a minute because there are some other themes in the book that I love that you talk about. And one of the themes that I talk about a lot on my Instagram and a lot of my social media, and that you touch on consistently from what I've read so far, is disability and understanding shame. At one of the points in the book you talk about going away with your friends and I think like 12 or 14, I think it was like 12 and having, having it filmed and you did this, you went away to this like cottage, you had it filmed and you thought you looked one way, but when you look back on the video, you were like, Oh no, I look completely differently because I'm disabled and I don't look the way that I thought I looked. And it gave you a lot of like who, a lot of complexes around how your disability looks. Can you talk more about that and and what disability shame feels like for you? Well, we could talk about that for a long time too. I um I think the the moment you're describing um yeah we 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 went to like this beach and and a lot of people had were filming the scene and I remember that day feeling so beautiful and like organically beautiful you know like the like the sea water air in my hair and like um and I had like this really cute swimming suit on and I felt like was like I felt beautiful in my body that day and I had an image in my head of what it looked like and and I think I was I think in the book I, I say something along the lines of like like a black and white Calvin Klein ad with yeah yeah exactly that yeah yeah something like yeah and so I think that I I was like picturing it almost like an ad you know like I could see it in my head which is such a weird thing you know that like I've done it I've done it I have the 
I do the same thing. So it's not weird at all because I do it all the time. Well, I think what it is, Andrew, and I wonder like what you think about this, but like to me, I think it's like when you grow up saturated in images, like through advertising and music videos and, and TV shows and stuff, like you're saturated in images that are like signaling to you, this is beautiful. This is sexy. This is uh, attractive. This is, you know, like this is the, this is it. This is the picture of that. Yeah. And so many versions of that that like barely vary between each other, really, right? Like, who's yeah, a- white cis, like mm-hmm. pretty girl from the nineties, all of with that. the big boobs and all the yeah, yeah. Yes, you have like two versions of what you get to be. When and you- for guys, it's like white cis wears a white top, really nice, <laughs> like. Throws on a pair of jeans. Yes. Has a perfect smile and is good to go. Yeah, there you go. You know, the exact shape of his muscles and yeah. the flow of his hair. Yeah, all of that. And um, and so I think it in my mind, if I feel beautiful and that's the image of beauty that I have in my mind, then I must look like that, right? And then to have this, like, jarring uh, recognition um, when I watched, like, the video later of, like, I don't look anything like that. And so... What when I felt beautiful, I actually wasn't, and it was actually something that looks much more like a medical pamphlet because that's the only place I would have seen, right? Like the yeah. only place I would have seen an image that resembled my body. Body, was, yeah, was in these like really medical sterilized, like we're studying a specimen, not like looking at beauty, and yeah. so. Um, I had a couple of experiences like that. Um, the one that I describe in the book is like the most memorable to me, but I can remember a few times when I would have that like whiplash of like, oh, I'm not what I, I don't look like what I thought. And so when I started the Instagram account years ago, like part of what I wanted to do was create beautiful images of disability um, like to have these images of, and and now that's evolved into like, images of of romance and and partnership um and motherhood as well like i want images that include paralysis and wheelchairs and like limp swollen feet that's because those are mine and um and like asymmetrical frames that are beautiful and and like something that you that disabled people could see themselves in and and see as beautiful so that was like part of what I wanted to do but um yeah I think the shame piece of it um was really defining for me really early um when I I think there's this time for for us and I'm sure that there's like a developmental psychologist who could have better language to describe how this works but like there's a time I think like I don't know for me it was around second third grade when I started to look around me and realize that I didn't fit and um yep. and 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 um started to realize that I there was like a I didn't belong and and started to feel like a spectacle that people were gawking at and um like an outsider like fundamentally yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there's a point in your book where you talk about, like, when you're at home with your family, you were confident, and you were, like, you were a kid that left, you didn't give a few, you you played the sand and crawled around, it was all fine, and then you also say, but when I went out in the world, like, I watched that break, and I watched that, like, disappear, and when you put that in the book, I was like, I think that there needs to be a word for it, and if there's not, we need to make one, because, like, that's the moment when you realize 
ableism is a real thing. You don't have the word for it yet, but it's a real thing. And like, oh, I'm different because of my disability. And you, when I was a kid, I shoved that down real hard, real, real quick. Cause I was like, I don't want to feel that way anymore. So I'm going to just shove it down. And now as I get older, I'm like trying to bring it up because I think we don't talk about shame enough in disability circles, even as disabled people, we don't talk about it enough. So my favorite place to be is like, cool, let's sit there for like an hour and talk about it. Look at it. And like, how did that happen? And what are the, what are the different shapes that it takes? Cause I, yeah, I didn't, I pushed it down too. I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to feel that way. And I wanted to belong. And so I think you feel like you don't belong. You want to belong. And so the thing that's making you not belong, your disability, this is how it worked for me. Like, I'm going to make that super small. Like, I'm going to make that a super small part of myself. Yeah. That people forget that it's even there. So, like, I don't need anything. Accessibility, not important. I can do whatever. It doesn't cost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I and insisting that, like, I'm no different than you. I'm the same. And then like ignoring all the ways that I'm different. Um, and I want all of us to pretend like I'm not, I mean, it just. And I mean, the irony is that at 36 and 37, you and I still do that. Like we still do, I still do it all every day. A hundred percent. Cause and like, Andrew, like part of that, I feel like is there is like a survival tool in there somewhere, right? Yeah, like somewhere. Yeah. There's something there that is like, we learn at some point that we, we would we would find some kind of belonging or we would, people would be more. We learn that it's safer for us. We just hide this. Yes. Everybody will accept me. If I say as a disabled person, if I say I'm going to overcome this and I'm going to rise above it, you'll clap for me. But the minute I say to you, Oh, I want to, I want to be in this disabled body. I like this disabled body. Then all of a sudden it feels like I failed. Yes. Yeah. Or like, um, or like if I talk about, if I, yes, if I talk about like how I've overcome, there's immediate applause and tears and affirmation. And oh yeah, you're the inspo porn star that you've some kind of belonging, right? Like, yeah. we want you here. I mean, you're not one of us, but we want you here. And then yeah, it's then as soon as um as soon as that conversation becomes like less consumable and um and less digestible. Yes, 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 yes. Digestible is the word. Um, like when I, and if I'm asking something of you, right? Like if I, if I, if I said, I need help to go pee, all of a sudden my disability is too much for you. But if I said, I took myself pee today and I'm disabled, you go, good for you. That's great. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I think we learn these things for a reason. Like, it's not like we just created that. Oh no. It's survival 502. I get Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but I like those passages, like, and again, I'm only on chapter two and I cannot wait to read more, but those, those passages were so salient to me. And one of the ones that I tweeted about yesterday, by the time this comes out, I don't know, but I, I tweeted about it last night. And one of the ones that like has been burned in my brain since I read it was you wrote in the book, you were talking about sexuality and how to get a partner comfy with our sexuality. And you say, I'm going to pull up the passage because I, Flagged it last night. There's, let me get it here. You said, "Oh, of course, I lost the part that I was looking at, but I have, <laughs> I have, I have some of it written down." You said, "How do I persuade you? I'm human like you, but also, how do I get you to feel comfortable with the ways that I'm different?" 
and that I've been thinking about that ever since I read it because it's so, again, they're so diametrically opposed to each other because disabled humans are not supposed to have sex Mm -hmm. and disabled people are not supposed to be human. Mm -hmm. So when you put those two things together, but I, but what I love about you, what you've done with this question is you put it in a lens of like, here's how that feels in my body. Like, I love how you also talk about, I don't have the exact phrasing, but you said, how do I show you all the things I need and also make sure you're okay while we have sex? How do I, like, (laughs) it's so much of what I do in what I do is that, how do I show you that I'm hot, viable, sexy, fuckable, all these things, and make sure that the ableism you're experiencing right now isn't too much for you to run away from that? And that's like part number two that I cried in the book. Cause I was like, Oh my God, it's me. Like it's what I do every time I have a sexual encounter. I do this and I play this mental gymnastics of like, can I do this? And I just think, I don't know, but let's try. It's like, I feel like, I think in the book I, I had that metaphor of like, it's like tight roping. It's like you're riding a bike on a tight road rope while you're juggling oranges or something like it's you're doing so much I might have cut that from the book maybe we didn't make it in there but like it's you're doing so much at one time um and like the grace that that takes like Andrew I feel like you have you your skill set is like so sophisticated because who who can do all of that at once who can balance all of that at once? i can't do it all at once that's why i have a twitter account because i can't do it all at once <laughs> it's too much for it's too much for one person and i think i mean I, there's so many layers to it i think part of i think part of what disabled people are in this this unfortunate position of of having to be on the edge of what is already a whole reductive like worthless narrative that we have about sex generally like I think that there's just this narrative about how sex should work and who is sexy that is so narrow-minded and then of course like disabled people are going to be on the edges even further on the edges of that narrative and so what we're we're experiencing the brunt of is 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 like a narrative that doesn't serve very many people anyways yeah, and I think, you know, we're on the fringes of all of that. And I think it's so hard because, so in, in my work, when I talk about sexuality and disability, I, I always say, like, I'm not on the fringes. I don't say it, but I think it in my head. I'm not on the fringes of sex and disability. The non-disabled person is. Yes. So I always try to be like, let me bring you into that so we're not on the fringes anymore. Yeah, I I, I like that framing of it, Andrew, because I feel like, yes, it's like, like, that non-disabled person who's never had their minds open to sexuality, who like, who has this really rigid model of like, this is what this needs to look like. And I don't, I don't know what to do if it, if it comes outside the bounds of this tiny little picture I have in my head, Yeah, that person is stuck. Like that person is caught in, in this like, um, really small ableist little tangled web. And like, Like what, what we want for those people is to be like liberated. <laughs> like come, come join me. Not even liberated. Just like put a paw out and see, Yes. put a toe in. Yes. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't feel comfy, tell me you're not comfy. And we'll talk about that when we get there. Yeah. I like that. Now, for you and your partner, Micah, 
like what is not so much from the sex part but from like just is he are they a non-disabled person yes well yeah you know it's interesting um that's kind of changing as it seems to with people's bodies right he micah had cancer um well we found out he had cancer like a week after we found out we were pregnant so that's a fun game you got to play. Wow. Thank you. Yes. Um, and so his body has been really fundamentally changed from his cancer. And so he, I don't know that he would identify as disabled, but his body has become much more complicated um, since his cancer. And, and uh, that it's interesting that we sort of already had this foundation of paying attention to the needs of my body and, and troubleshooting and figuring things out and how yeah. we, feel self built already a little bit not that that makes it just like super easy and not complicated but like we have some of those muscles already built um in our relationship with my complicated body and now we have two complicated bodies um that were oh that's the book you two should write together complicated bodies uh, an exploration of our love as disabled and non-disabled people at the end i don't know it could be that could be a book Thank you. Just, I feel like you're writing a series for me in real. Just, yeah, you should just write more. I'll just I'll give you all the titles so you can just do, <laughs> do with it what you like. Um, no, but I think you know does so. There's an understanding of the from him what disability looks like, and and like in terms of not so much the intimate parts of your sexuality, but in terms of like generally your relationship. Was there that? Did he? Did he too? live in that narrow space of like sex is supposed to look like this. And then you had to like slowly break him out of that. Or how did, what was that like? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Like I've tried to, I've tried to think back on like what worked so well with the two of us, because um, I've definitely been in relationships that didn't, that didn't work the way that Mike and I do. And I think, I think part of what happened or what has helped us was first, I think before I before I I met Micah, I had I had worked through so much of my own like internalized ableism around my own sexuality and my my like who I am and and how people see me. I'd worked through a lot of it. Um, not, I mean, obviously, it's something I'm still working on every. Oh, it's a it's a living, breathing beast. Right, Able, but ableism. I, I had I was in so so much of a better place than I was than I like previous long term relationships that I'd been in where shame was such a defining part of it and um, my main goal in those relationships was to make my disability as small as possible and like no we don't need to pay attention to that let's just pretend like everything's you know like <laughs> someone's disabled here you know like that was so much, um my my previous relationships and so with Mike I think part of it was like I felt a lot sturdier in myself and in this body. And then I think, and I think part of it was also like real from really early on, Micah was just curious. I mean, I think that's the word, like he didn't know, like, uh, I think in the book I talk about how like, um, he like Googled can disabled people have sex. I think when we first started dating, like, Oh, he- that's cute. And I wonder if you found a bunch of pictures of me on there. Cause I like I was probably writing about it at that point. Um, yeah, I, iconic. Um, but so he, like, he was curious and he approached the whole thing with just like, 
you tell me and I don't know like what, you know, like. And I think that curiosity, that crippled curiosity is so like, so powerful. And I think, you know, we in, in disability justice discourse, when people have the curiosity, we roll our eyes and go, just Google it. But I think that curiosity is so pure and so like necessary. And I love it when people come into my central space, my central space, and say, I don't know what the fuck to do, show me. Mm-hmm. Like, there's such an intimacy there that it makes all the rest of it so easy because they, they just want to learn. Yeah, well, and so much, there's something really empowering to that in that too, because the dynamic is, you tell me, you know, like, um, what should we do here? Or like, what, you tell me how this feels to you or what you want or what's important to you, as opposed to what I feel like, and a reverse of the curiosity is the like the assumption. Well, I already know what you need, or I already know how this is going to work for you, or I already know what you can't do. Yeah, curiosity is the thing that like invites that connection. And I make- think we can't. I think we as disabled people can't demonize that curiosity. And I think we, because of the oppression we face for years and years, I think our, our knee jerk reaction is to do that. Ugh. What are you curious about? Why didn't you do your research before you got here? Like, well, because not every disability is the same and I need to learn. And so, so I, I would urge any disabled people listening who have like rolled their eyes when someone asks, what do you need? Like, remember what a gift that is. Like, that's such a powerful moment together. Yeah. Well, cause there's different kinds of curiosity, right? Like some of it that the cure and, and like to lump them all into one thing as like to lump curiosity about disability into one giant category of like invasive of like just google it is like not you can know yeah like some of it is um what i mean like you just said like every disability every person is different every disability is different and like in order to understand how to be helpful to me in a specific situation there has to be a conversation a lot of times there has to yeah um and, and, and again, like the reverse of that is like just assuming that, you know, or like finding something on Google and assuming that that will apply to me. That's why that's, yeah, I don't have a story about that. I, I think I told this a long time ago, but I'll tell it again. There was a guy that I was hooking up with or wanted to hook up with a couple of years ago on, on Grindr, of course, right? Grindr. So we wanted to hook up and I told the guy I had CP and we were talking for a bunch of hours on the app and things were going, hey, we had a nice banter going and he, we were going to mess around. And he goes, well, what's your disability? And I said, well, it's cerebral palsy. And he went away and there was some silence for it. Then he came back and he goes, I Googled it and it said you could have seizures and die. So I don't think we should hang out. And I remember just being like, cool, but did you ask me if you should Google that? Like, did you ask me if that's my experience? Because right. <laughs> you're wrong about it. And he goes, well, I'm really scared now. And I don't know if, and I was like, oh no, like this is not helping anybody. A perfect example. That is a perfect example where it's like, who is to say that what that person finds on the internet is going to actually be helpful at all in this. At any point ever. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Like it's, I mean, I think there is a kind of curiosity that is just like, maybe you don't need to know that that doesn't that's not going to be helpful to us but like so much of it is um especially with the people like the the real people that you have relationships with in your life to me it feels like care an expression of care yeah and i mean i think if you're going to get naked with me like or intimate with me in any way you should know the stuff and that's that's also when i let some of my guard down of like 
even if you ask an ignorant question, I'm going to let you ask it because you're about to do something super intimate and that's scary. But I think on the apps, when people like on the apps or how we date now, when people say stuff like, Oh, what happened to you? That's where I'm like, okay, you don't need, you don't, yeah, exactly. You don't, you don't get to know that right away. Uh, or yeah, exactly. Like if, if it's um, like, I want your gory story just so that I can like know some, you know, like to have that. Yeah. yeah to like understand. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm like, Oh, that feels weird. Yeah. Um, As to a genuine connection with someone. And like, I want you to know this about me so that we can build this into our relationship or that yeah. you can know how to be with me in a way that feels good. And, um, and, and I think like, I think there's so much work we have to do in that space. Mm-hmm. So I want to pivot a little bit because I didn't write this question down, but I have it in my head now. And I want to see before we go to this. Um, you talk about how you love rom-coms and how you were kind of raised on as the world terms. And that's <laughs> kind of where you, um, where you kind of understood what sex and beauty was and all the stuff from that. So I wonder as a disabled person, what is your favorite rom-com? Oh, so I grew up on rom-coms. I, do they still make them? Are they still making rom-coms? They don't make them like they used to, like like 20 years ago or even like 30. They don't make them like they did in the 90s. No, no. They no. make them, but they're all kind of like edgy now. And I, it's not the way they used to be. Like my favorite rom-com, and I think I did an episode of this years ago, was uh, I did a What If episode if Meg Ryan from You've Got Mail was a wheelchair user how the comedy would be different and how the rom-com would be. I, I did a whole episode on what I thought would happen, but that's my favorite rom-com in the whole world because it's so specific of a time. It's like pre millennial, anything pre really the internet. And it was just these two people trying to find love. And like, they don't do comedies, rom-coms like that anymore. And the feeling like you can like feel New York in the fall. Like I've never been, to, well, maybe I, I think I went to New York once in the fall for a very like quick trip but like you know you like have a sense of the space and the yeah and you like and you know it's before like it's before meg ryan got like 75 facelifts because she felt bad about herself was back when she was you know back when she and i i I love meg ryan now but i I feel sad for her because i'm like oh hollywood made you feel like you had to destroy your face you were so beautiful and you're so beautiful anyway it was before all that it was like when tom hanks was still like I mean, he's a huge star still, but like they're third three together, I think, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I that's my favorite, and I basically the episode goes on to like look at every scene and be like, "What if she was a wheelchair user? How would this scene be different?" We do need a rom com with a wheelchair user. That does need to happen. We I need, think- yeah. I mean, I think that I think there was a Christmas movie. With Ali Stoker. Oh my god! Like, yes, 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 yes. But I never, I haven't watched it yet, or haven't been able to get a hold of it. We should, you know, for March. 8th, I don't know when this will air, but this will air probably. I'm going to say now, so it'll air, but it'll air before whatever I say. For some month coming up, I haven't decided when. I want to do. I do this series on the show called Great Flicks and Joysticks or something, and where I sit with a person and I review popular media we should review a rom-com yes and be like what would happen if they're a wheelchair user we should do that i would love that i would love that and also like i want yeah like i'm trying to think of what movies like my rom-com growing up that i watched 
we, we had a dollar theater across the street from our house and my sister and I would walk to the dollar theater and go see, um, while you were sleeping, like every afternoon. I've never seen it. Really? We should, we should watch it together. We should, yes. Yeah. We should watch it together. It's a nonsense movie. I mean, this is how they used to make the rom-coms is like, oh no, if this actually happened in real life, like that would be so troubling. Um, yeah. But. Like I know, isn't the premise of that movie where like Sandra Bullock basically stalks this guy awake and is like, I've been there the whole time you were asleep. No, see, she pretends to be engaged to this guy who's in a coma so he can't like wake up and defend himself and explain the real story. And then she falls in love with, this is a massive spoiler, but also this movie was made in the nineties. Um, but then she falls in love with his brother. Um, and um, then, you know, and then this is the thing I, I love about nineties rom-coms is like, everybody's like getting engaged all the time immediately and so uh she like he finds out that she actually loved him and then proposes um so they just you know why go on a date when i mean but there are so many disability pieces there there's like he's in a coma there's like what about the medical repercussions of him being in a coma and also what did no one know that she was not a on the patient guest list? Like, how did you get in there? All the... There's a lot to the story, Andrew. You need to watch it to get into this world a little bit. I mean, um, we should watch it. You know what we should do? For Great Flicks and Joysticks, we should watch it together one day. And then I'll be, I'll watch it for the very first time. They're like, what the hell is this? Oh, no. I'm not sure if I'm prepared to have my childhood world um, shattered by the Destroyed? Reality. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, maybe we'll hold off on that. But we should do, we should, I would love to bring you back on in some way and do one that is like, Let's do it. Let's do that. This has been really, really wonderful. Like I, it was so fun. I could sit and talk with you, and I have more questions that we're not going to get to. But I had so much fun with you today. So, so, and it was just nice to kind of like talk about everything and nothing all at the same time. It was great. It was so great. Um, this. I'm not. Oh, thank you. Because I feel like I'm never good at it. So, thank you for saying that I'm good at it. Because I. I think you have a. I think of your many skills, like making people feel comfortable, just like chatting about life with you is one of them. So thank you. Oh, yay. Well, I mean, I'm trying to think of was there a last question that I was like, what? Let me pull up the questions that I wrote down and pretend to be professional. Um, oh, yeah. So the last question, well, there's two, okay. but I'll kind of make it in. Mm, I'll see if we can do two real quick. So in the book, in the first couple pages, where are you talking about ableism? You talk about how ableism morphs and changes and it's hard to understand because it never looks quite the same and I felt so seen by that because I was like yep it does every day how do you feel ableism has morphed and changed for you over time yeah like uh, that's a lot to dig into I think like I um like part of it for me was even just like learning what it was and there was this whole period of my life where I was just like identifying it around me for the first time and like seeing things differently. And, and then I think, um, I kind of felt like I had mastered it, you know, like I like had decoded it and I knew what it was and I knew how to like not let it affect me personally. And then I became a mom. I think that this is the most recent way that it, it has like shape shifted for me. And, um, is in this new experience of parenthood. And um, 
I think that I really did think that I, I didn't have too much internalized ableism to work through anymore. And then when I became a mom, I just like tripped into this pit that I didn't think I'd ever get out of that took me off guard. Like what? It, this is so deep in me. Um, so I think that was a, a, a recent sort of like shift for me. I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting to watch also like the ways that like the different shapes that it takes outside of me. Like um, when I first started, I think the, I think that a lot of public perception around conversations around disability have sort of changed since I started writing on Instagram. Like it seems like people are like way more interested in um, like diversity, equity, and inclusion. And sometimes disability gets lumped in there and, and the come speak at our thing because we want to be more inclusive. And- come speak at our thing, but we're not going to pay you a dollar if you yeah, speak at right. it. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, in some ways it's interesting to see like, okay, so that, that conversation is shifting. And like, I think more people are aware of the word ableism than five years ago. Like when I first started Googling ableism, like when I first heard the word, it was like, you know how Google does like the, the search searches. And it was like all the top three were like ableism doesn't exist. And like all of these, Oh no. Like that was in 2015 or 2016. And I don't, I, you know, it seems like it's such, it's like a more common word that people are familiar with now, even if they don't totally understand what it is. But, and then, you know. Newsflash, we don't understand what it is either. (laughs) Don't build, yeah. Exactly, Andrew. I love talking to you. Um, (laughs) We're on the same page. But like, I think that, um, even as all of those things are sort of changing and, and there are people who start thinking that they know like, well, something about disability. And then you have something like COVID and then like. There's a this- COVID, a mass disabling event that we have to like, it's a mass disabling event. Exactly. Exactly. I've not heard it described that way, but that sounds right. Um, heard, I heard it on CNN the other day and I was like, yep, that's what it is. Yeah. And I think that so suddenly like, you know, the world changes and then you see ableism cropping up in these new ways. Um, even as you have people that feel more confident using a word like ableism and then at the same time you see all these new applications of it. So I still don't like that we talk about racism, sexism, misogyny, homophobia, and then ableism is there sometimes, but it's right at the back of the room. And I keep saying, do you realize that ableism is connected to all of these things? Like all these things are a tree and each one of them intersects with the other one. Right. But you're not like when it's included, it's like the way that it's understood is just like the bully on the playground. It's like the only way that, or the the way that people tend to understand ableism is just like, don't be mean to disabled people. Um, yeah. And it's like, it's so much, I wish we could go into the deep facets of what it like. Maybe I'll do a show where it's just me going into like, what are the deep facets of what ableism is? Cause I haven't done that yet. So maybe I will. You do it, do it, do it. I think you should. I think, yeah, I think it's something that you could unspool for a long time. Um, I mean, it could be a whole podcast by itself. It could be a whole, like, 10-part series. Maybe, oh, that's what we should do together. That could be fun. We should talk about that. I have all these ideas because you were so fun to talk to. But <laughs> you and I could sit for three more hours, but the, nobody wants to listen to that. So so um, how can the people, how can they buy your book? How can they support you? Well. You should be able to buy the book in any place that books are sold. So if you have a local bookstore that doesn't have it, just ask them for it. 
Um, but it's available. Yeah, you can you can buy it online. It's in an you can do the audiobook version um, or the ebook version um, or the paperback version. Um, it's around. It is on Apple, but as somebody who bought the book from Apple, I would I'm just going to caution you if by chapter two it stops giving you the book, email Apple and be like WTF? <laughs> What's going on? Uh, so I would highly recommend other ways to do it digitally because Apple did not help me out here. Good to know. Uh, and also, come on, Apple. Apple, if you're listening, fix it. Truly. Um, so yeah, those are those are the places. I think if you Google it, um, you should you should be able to find it. Yeah, it's there. It's everywhere. So it's sitting pretty. So good. Just love everything about it. And I love that we also went on like five thousand tangents today. Those are my favorite kind of shows, so I'm glad we did that. Uh, I know it was fun for me. I don't know how anyone else will follow it, but oh, it was great. And like, if you if you're listening, there's no way to follow it. Just listen to it and enjoy us. Like, what I love about doing, yeah, it's a roller coaster of a show. And like, what I love about doing shows when you really click with somebody is there's no every topic makes sense. It's fine. So I hope that everyone listening is like got something good out of that. And if you didn't. Uh, I had fun, so it was great. Same. Um, Rebecca Tossig, thank you so much for coming on. Other than buying your book, how can people reach out to you? Uh, Instagram is like the main social media place that I hang out, but I also have a website, um, RebeccaTossig.com, where people can find, there's links in there um, to find me. Cool. I'll make sure that all that's in the show notes. You're such a jet. I just, we should be friends after this. I would love to chat more with you because it was really great. I already thought we were BFFs. I mean, we are. I mean, I just want to be more BFFs than we already are. Yeah, officially. Let's make it official on some sort of, yeah. Um, This was so great. Thank you so much for coming on. And you and I will, I'll have you back at some point for a movie show, a movie episode. He's the best. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. All right, friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark in the books. Thank you so much for making this episode comfy, cozy, and crippled. And I hope you enjoyed sitting down with your favorite disabled person on the internet and talking all things disability. Thank you so much for being here. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to my website, andrewgerza.com, or you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at andrewgerza1. If you want to be on the show, you can, of course, email us at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com with your disability story. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to support Disability After Dark, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledge as little as $1 a month up to $5 a month or more, or even a yearly amount if that works for your budget. We at Disability After Dark, me, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for supporting this show and Crippled Co. and all the things we do. And tune in next week when we shine a light on another disability story right here on Disability After Dark. Bye, friends! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple and Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, 
please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Kriblin Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2022.